In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your Catholic faith in our modern world of today. And especially this week, we're going east. We're heading east this week to the Eastern Catholic Churches. But before we go into that, if you haven't checked out our website, go to thecatholictoolboxshow.com. That is thecatholictoolboxshow.com. And before... We go straight into it. I want to introduce my guest here this week, Anthony Cleary. Welcome aboard to the Catholic Toolbox. Yeah, thank you, George. Thanks very much. Um, and it's a great pleasure to be with you. And congratulations to you and the work that you're doing and the different guests that you've had each week. Because I think as you, um, as you said in your introduction, um, we're at a time when uh, we need some practical understandings about the application of our faith. Um, St. Anselm said a, long, a very long time ago um, about the definition of theology, about faith-seeking understanding. And I don't just think it's an, our understanding, it's also our um, actual uh, living out of that, that faith and the, our giving witness to it. Exactly. And especially as James chapter one, verse 22 says, we have to take action with our faith. And that's what we're about here on the Catholic Toolbox. I'm delighted that you're here on the show. Um, my, my first encounter with you actually is very interesting. When I was in year 10, uh, you didn't know me back then, but I, I went to one of your talks at the Guardians program at St. Charbel's in Punchbowl. I used to, when I had after my reversion back to the faith in year nine, in grade nine, I was studying my way back into the Catholic faith, you know, a little bit ahead of, <laughs> I was a little bit ahead of my age. Um, so, and, and I went to a talk, I remember that you gave about the Eastern churches back in 2010. I don't know if you recall <laughs> the exact one there, but, but that was a great talk. Um, and it really struck me. And that's where I really started learning about the different rites. And, and interestingly enough, it's great because it comes in somebody uh, you yourself are not part of the Eastern Catholic. You, you're not born an Eastern Catholic. You're, you're, you're a Western Catholic uh, giving a talk about that topic. But before we go, uh, before, before we get sidelined, I'm really excited here tonight to talk about it. It's one of my uh, favorite topics to discuss. What are the Eastern Catholic churches, Anthony? Simply put, what are they? Uh, because it, people 
get those experiences where they, they meet a Maronite, they meet a, a, a Melkite or a Ukrainian Catholic, and they, they ask the question in the West, are you Catholic? Is this Catholic? I remember, <laughs> I remember telling my mum uh, about a month ago, and even my uh, in-laws actually, interestingly, that uh, we've been, you know, attending the the Anglican ordinary, and and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're going to the Anglican <laughs> church. It's it's this concept of different rites, uh, one faith, but you can express it in different rites. But but we're focusing here on the Eastern Catholic churches. So what is an Eastern Catholic church? Put well, I, I suppose I would start off by saying that each Sunday around the world over a billion people profess a belief in one holy catholic and apostolic church and that profession of faith means different things to different people but it's the creed which of course draws people together and our understanding is that there is a that there is a diversity in the unity of the catholic church and properly understood the catholic church today is 22 sister churches and 21 of those churches are eastern now if you were to when we take the term eastern and western it actually goes back uh, to the roman empire when the roman emperor diocletian in 285 actually divided the roman empire because it was so vast and he acknowledged that the management of the Roman Empire was impossible to do. Um, and so he split the empire into two parts. Now, in those first few centuries after Christ, Christianity had spread to different parts of the Roman Empire. It had spread, it had originated in Jerusalem, but in Alexandria, in Rome, in Constantinople, um, in um, uh, as far as as far as India as well, uh, the Apostle Thomas went, and so you had these major um, Antioch again. You had these major cities which became centres, and then actually became the patriarchs patriarchates of the Catholic Church in its early years. So all the Eastern, the modern Eastern Catholic churches are basically those churches which were geographically in the Eastern part of the Roman Empire at that time. And so the Western church, which was the, the, the Latin church, because Latin was the language of the Church of Rome, um, basically was in the Western part of Europe and the rest of the Eastern Catholic churches were in North Africa, today's Middle East, and even the Far East to India. And so it's, it actually is a fascinating thing. So you have 21 very different churches um, within that, because, again, if you were to say that there are similarities between the Eastern churches, yes, there are but there are actually great differences as well. There are differences of culture. There are differences of um, theologically. Generally, they are all under the same umbrella, but it's where you have the um, liturgical and sacramental life of those churches, um, the aspects of ritual, um, some of the, um, what, what we would call 
traditional living out of the faith that we associate, um, that we call the Byzantine churches. Yep. Which are associated, and so which um, the Melkites as a Byzantine church. Um, we have the sacraments of initiation all take place when the child is an infant. And so, whereas, for example, with the Maronites, um, it's only two of the sacraments a baptism and chrismation, or we would say confirmation in the Roman Catholic Church. So the Eastern churches. Uh, also have a great diversity in them. And I, I think that we, um, we are drawn to that understanding that no single vision can ever exhaust the riches of the mystery of God, of the, the, the expression of faith. Um, within those particular churches and they have grown and they have flourished um differently of course because of the parts of the world that they are in are you with us uh you're still with us here i think your connection um slowed down a little bit before uh, yes, yep, I, back. I, yeah, I, and that was one of the disadvantages of me moving from my study to my lounge <laughs> area. I, I, uh, it, the lights went out, but that's where the internet is based. So we'll, we'll see how we go. And one thing, George, I will provide to you to provide to, you know, your audiences and your listeners. I have a number of... Um, well presented, I believe, PowerPoints which explain this too and actually give the, the what the map of the Roman Empire looked like even and where the, those particular early churches were. Excellent. Um, and it's very interesting because many people think that uh, they might see a different liturgy. They might see a different church and they might automatically think, oh, is this Catholic? But what does that mean? Let's discuss a little bit. What does it mean to be Catholic? What makes you Catholic, uh, uh, essentially? Is it, is it simply our faith or is it practice? Or what makes us all Catholic and have the same faith, same baptism, same Lord uh, that's common between all rites? Well, again, and it's uh, what you've you've said there. It's uh, that we are we are drawn together um, with an understanding that um, our our understanding of the sacraments, our theological understanding of the sacraments, our um, profession of faith uh, in the creed. Um, and so what, what you see is that uh, theologically um, that's, there are no variances there in terms of it's where the life of a Catholic uh, is born out and is um, shaped by that relationship with Christ um, and, again, strengthened through the sacraments. And it's the beliefs that the person actually uh, holds and so it's the ver the variances occur within uh, for example the liturgy and so it's but the but the actual now one one 
example would be um, in if you were to look at many of the liturgies within the um, uh, a Roman Catholic liturgy in the Eucharistic prayer, uh, Roman Catholics typically kneel within the Eucharistic prayer. And um, whereas the majority of the Eastern Catholics believe that it is unnecessary to kneel. And so they actually stand and they see that the standing and so that actual practice um, indicates just a slight variance of, but it's the belief in, so when you, and it goes back to George, so what does it mean to be a Catholic today? It's our belief about, you know, Jesus Christ, son of God and son of Mary. Um, and, you know, the concept of um, our belief in, uh, original sin, our belief in uh, Jesus, our belief in um, the resurrection, our belief in redemption, our belief, for example, in practical terms of transubstantiation. So you, you could actually go through about the core elements of what it means to be uh, what it means to be Catholic on a whole range of fronts, and they really are fundamentally pulled together in the four parts of the catechism, which is where we have that broader um, sort of blueprint for uh, the beliefs and practices of, uh, of being a Catholic today. Because I, I think that's the, um, is the significant thing is that um, following, yes, following the commandments is one thing, but why, why is that following the commandments the whole um, so essential? And it's about, you know, the notion of the moral law. But it's an acceptance also of those things where we, that we deem to be at the, at the core um, of church teaching in and around, for example, um, uh, Mary. Um, so often, it, often, you know, if you were to say what are three things that separate uh, Catholics from other Christians, um, it would be the Eucharist, the Pope and Mary are three things which are reasonably distinctive. And, for example, um, while Orthodox share the same views about the Eucharist, they clearly have different views in part about Mary and certainly about the Pope. Um, so it's about looking for and, and identifying the things that, that make us Catholic today. And even, even from a practical point of view, um, but this, um, of course, is shared by other people who are not Catholic, not even Christian at times, is our whole understanding of, you know, our, we, we believe, for example, that we're made in the image and likeness of God and that life is sacred yeah. from conception. So, so basically what you're trying to say is, this is the way I like to see it. Jesus Christ established one true church, his body, and that's the church outside which there is no salvation. Now, as that's one church which developed in, in 
in Jerusalem, went out to different parts of the world. Naturally, the way the, the beliefs are the same, the dogmas are the same of any tradition within the Catholic Church to be Catholic. It's the same faith, same baptism, same Lord, same you're in the church. But the expression of the way they celebrate the Eucharist with the same theology in every, in every single distinct liturgy uh, it, it is, is culturally different or ritualistically different or emphasizes different aspects of theology. Yeah, and look, and, and sometimes I would say the cultural expressions of the faith can be on matters which some hold to be really important. For example, um, uh, like in the Western church, you have uh, the, the, the notion of a celibate priesthood. Um, whereas in, in many of the Eastern churches, the requirement of um, priests, um, you have married priests. And for example, their episcopacy is not, they, they are not married. And you still have monks who are not married. And again, the man must be married before he becomes a priest, can't become the priest and then marry. And so there are certain structures for that. So, but you know, like as you would know, as a young man who follows um, theological discussions fairly closely, um, a lot of people say, oh, that is a, a defining factor of what it means to be Catholic. Well, actually, no, it's not. Uh, it's important within the Latin church and it is a particular discipline and it has a particular history to it. Man there wasn't always mandatory celibacy for the clergy of the Western church. It was something that came in over time. And whereas for the Eastern churches, yet at the same time, one of the controversial points that needs to also be looked at is, and this is about our understanding of the Eastern churches, in many parts of the world, Eastern churches, and this included even in Australia, uh, Eastern bishops were not permitted to ordain married men in, the, in, um, in uh, Western nations. And in some countries, um, and it caused, it caused a lot of problems, especially in the United States with Ruthenian Catholics. It caused some issues here. Yet we know now in Australia that many of the Eastern churches here in Australia have married clergy. And that is a, a, a cultural expression of that which is at the core of that church, which goes back to the very origins of those churches. And they've continued it in time. But it shows how... There have been times when those natural expressions of those churches have suffered or been compromised by what's considered to be the more dominant church. Because when we consider it, the Western church or the Latin church would be approximately 95%, probably closer to 98% of Catholics uh, Western Catholic. Or most, Catholic. most of the Catholic Church, most of the faithful in the church belong to the West. That's, that's correct. Yeah. And, and again, um, 
There is a reason for that. And it's a really practical reason for that. That when you look at a map and you look at where the West was, where the Western church, the church of Rome was, when Diocletian separate, divided the empire, the Western church, the Latin church was in, uh, was of course in Rome. It was in Spain, in France, in England, in Portugal. It was in the empire nations. It was in the nations that would go out and colonize the rest of the world. Whereas the Eastern Catholic churches were in North Africa, they were in the Middle East, they were in um, Eastern Europe. And so the Eastern churches suffered, of course, A, because of the, the division, um, two divisions, um, 451 and 1054. And so those two splits caused great havoc for the Eastern churches. So, so if we do look at it, if you think of Spain, for example, Spain colonised basically South America, the Philippines. So that's the reason why when Catholicism came to those countries, it, they naturally received the expression of the Catholic faith in the Western way. Had, uh, it, that, had that, it been, for instance, yeah. the Maronites who colonised South, <laughs> South, South America... They would have been Catholics practicing the Maronite rite or any other Eastern rite. So that's, is that correct? Well, uh, and so what, what you're saying is correct. So from their origins, they were affected, they were damaged greatly with, by, the, the, by the splits with the Oriental Orthodox and then the Great, the great Schism. So that damaged them. And we have to remember today that when we talk about our, our I'll come back to this, but when we talk about Eastern churches, most Christians don't think of Eastern, don't think of the Catholics. They think of the Orthodox, okay, because they are also referred to as the Oriental or the Orthodox Church, uh, as the churches of mm -hmm. the East. Yep, and that and might be getting more of a complicated. So just to, just to step back a little bit for all our listeners, yeah. So the, we have one church that Jesus established, and then obviously as it expanded, you know, it went to Eastern Europe. Naturally, they would express the faith and do, carry out their liturgy in, a, in an Eastern way. If it was in the, because it was in the West, they developed the Roman liturgy and all its thing. But let's quickly go through, what is, let's list some of the rites. I know we can maybe get this graphic up here for our listeners to look at. Uh, let's look at some of these rites. Like I said, there's the Western Church and the Eastern Church. The Western. I suppose, Church George, I would I would um, only say one thing to you. When we when we refer to rite, I would prefer to refer to them as um, suris or church, Theory. because rite in a strict sense is really also looking primarily at the liturgical aspect of it. So if we look at the, the Eastern churches and then you've got the ones, for example, um, uh, like you've got, the, you've got the Coptics in North Africa, then you've got, and then you move across. So you, you had the city of um, Alexandria in North Africa, where again, you, you had primarily, the Coptics were the very big one. Uh, around Antioch, again, you had um, you had the Maronites, 
um, you had Syriacs. So you had a whole group of very f small um, splintered um, uh, communities. Sorry? They were, uh, basically, you could call them ethno groups. It was just a community of ethnic yeah, people. Yeah, no, look, I, I, and that's probably a good way of, um, that's probably a good way of referring to them. Um, it's, and it's, but Antioch had the greatest number. See, what was tragic is that when, when you looked at the patriarchate, the, the patriarchate cities, the very original city, of course, that of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Um, and between, you had, the first, you, had, you had the first destruction of it right through to, so between 70 and um, Christian persecutions between 70 and 130 AD, uh, you had this terrible um, destruction of the, Christian communities there uh, in Jerusalem. And that then meant that that early church community in Jerusalem really suffered and never actually took off. So the very origins of, our, of the church that Christ had established um, never flourished in, its, uh, in Jerusalem. You then had so around with 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 Antioch, um, you had the Syrians, and that's where um, often um, many people will refer to um, like the the whole notion of language comes into this, and you, Syriac was of course the dominant language of of Antioch, and then even the complication with that is East and West Syriac as well. But you had there, uh, um, and for those listening, Syriac. Um, the, for those who are uh, the group. sorry, for those who aren't similar uh, familiar with Syriac, it, it's basically Aramaic form of Aramaic, which uh, is the language oh, that Jesus that, spoke. That that's correct. So what it is is it's a. Um, I'm just trying to get. I, I'm just trying to move it because I've got a, a little blowfly moving around. So I'm just trying to have it so that it, again, it's sort of buzzing in and around near where <coughs> um, uh, this screen was. But so you've got. Um, uh, you had uh, with Antioch. You had um, a, a whole group of smaller. Um, churches your biggest church is the the byzantine church or the church of constantinople and again the ones that and what grew out of there was you had russian you had um uh, melkite albanian and so you've got a whole range of um churches um that flourished in with their own world. identity their own serious identity so you have the the Byzantine. They use the Byzantine uh, liturgy, That's but, but they all have, let's say, the Russian Catholics will will do that that same liturgy, but in Russian. The Malkites will do it in Arabic. The Albanians will do it in Albanian. The Ukrainian Catholics, um, a beautiful church in uh, in Lidcombe actually, um, that will do it in Ukrainian, uh, unless it's English. But they have their own sort of style of of doing it. But they're their own self governing churches. 
and that's and that's where and, and that's where you would technically say um, the Ukrainian Church of the Byzantine Rite. So what you have is that the rite is typically the liturgy, and what you said is correct. Um, it's typically the liturgy which is commonly then used for a whole lot of different uh, churches. So it's a particular church um, within a particular broader rite as well. Yeah. And I think one of the things um, to keep in mind is that the, the confusions sometimes emerge because, like, if you hear the term uh, Coptic or Armenian, now, they're two examples, and there are others. Um, they have a, uh, an orthodox counterpart mm -hmm. as well, whereas, um, like, two churches, I just draw as an example, that do not have orthodox counterparts are uh, the Maronites and the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans is... Maronites at not at all, but the Chaldeans is an interesting one because there is another church which sort of sits in the middle of a no man's land, in the middle of nowhere. It's neither Catholic nor Orthodox, and it fits, and it's the Assyrian Church of the East. First and it sort of sits there as one of these churches which is a, a solo church, which really, when you think about it, is very close to the reality of the church at the time of Jesus, uh, as in, and the early disciples, like these communities which would have taken and where, um, because clearly uh, communities fashioned the liturgy and fashioned uh, belief systems, not belief systems, but they fashioned the, the way in which they lived out their beliefs according to particular local customs, rituals, etc. And again, what you had is that even was borne out in the um, the way in which, for example, the bishops of early churches um, made people saints and that that type of thing. So. Our, our early origins were, were very orthodox in nature in terms of like what you have there with the orthodox churches is you have a great deal of um, um, I won't say democracy in a, in a, in a negative way. Uh, collegiality. The, but, but there was a, a more collegial way of operating. And um, whereas, uh, you know, um, that, that often is, has not been the case in our more contemporary church. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And again, everything we're discussing is not the faith. It's the discipline, the way of living that same faith. Like, for instance, you can go to a Roman liturgy or a, or a Maronite liturgy or a Coptic liturgy. But what you're getting there is the same Eucharist, the same Jesus Christ, the same uh, representation of the sacrifice, and the, the same theological reality and spiritual reality that you're getting any right of the faith because it's the same faith, but it's expressed differently. Yeah. Now, for our listeners, 
I want to do a bit of a comparison. Okay, let's switch back over to the Western church so people can get understand what the reality is of what these churches are. In the Western church, we have the, the Roman Rite, which has two forms. Uh, contrary to, to modern opinion, it does have two forms. Uh, the extraordinary form, which is the traditional Latin mass, and the ordinary form, which most Catholics use in most parishes. But then there's, a, then there's uh, other rites within the Western. There's the, 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 the Dominican rite, which the Dominican order celebrates, similar to the Latin mass. There's the Anglican use of the Anglican ordinaria, which is such a beautiful liturgy, which is almost, almost very similar to the Latin mass, but in Old English. And then there's uh, different rites like uh, uh, Milan, uh, Ambrose, and those are Western rites similar to the Roman rite. And that very, I think that's what really opens people's minds who are Western, don't understand what the Eastern churches are. When you explain about the Latin mass and the new mass, they get it. Okay, two different liturgies, but it's the same faith. Okay, let's add the Anglican liturgy. Yes, that's another one. The Dominican rite, another one. Okay, we get it now. It's, it's just different rites which express the same faith, but in a different way. And they develop culturally, customized, based on the time, and, it's, and they might emphasize different theological points, but it's all the same faith. Uh, so uh, how, how would you rate my description there? <laughs> Look, it's accurate. And um, so, and three of them, for example, um, have re effectively perished in time and they were the Celtic, like the Irish had its own right, as, oh, wow. as you've described. Uh, the Ambrosian, which was the one of Milan, and the Mozarabic, which was in Spain. Um, so you did have, and that's exactly correct. So in a way, there were other alternatives to what we saw in Rome and at, 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 at parts in, part in the Western Empire. And today, and again, it's about... That whole understanding is, but I suppose that's where you have this interplay between the term right, or which refers to the liturgical aspects of it, and church. Whereas, um, you know, when we talk about that, when we talk about a church, it's people within the Western church that, of course, that have the alternative uh, liturgical rights. Okay, yeah. Can. That they can, For instance, um, the, the Dominican rite is not a self-governing church. It's just simply no, a liturgical rite with its yeah. calendar and breviary that, but yeah, and that Dominicans may celebrate from time to time, but they mainly, most of the time, they celebrate the ordinary form or extraordinary form of the Roman rite, not the Dominican rite. So, and, so I think that, that opens people's minds up a bit to understand, okay, you're a Western Catholic, there's more than just one Western rite. Um, to, to open that, their minds at least to the, the fact that the church is diverse in its expression of the same faith. Um, uh, is there anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, look, I, I mean, I, I think you, um, you've described it accurately because it's, um, it's about how um, obviously we are each um, in a particular time and place and in, in circumstances where we obviously see the life of the church 
and changes within a church within a particular within a particular uh, context. And I think that uh, we don't know, look in, in the future. Um, we know that one of the reasons why um, Pope Saint uh, John Paul II wrote Orientale Lumen, and he wrote it in 1995, and it is the light of the East, was um, he had said 10 years previously about the fact that the church needed to learn to breathe with its two lungs again. Now, he was from Poland. He had experiences with many of the Byzantine uh, Catholic churches. He was conscious of their beauty, but he was very mindful of the fact of the dangers of there being this uh, a false understanding of the church. And in particular, he was aware of the fact that, um, and much of Orientale Lumen talks about the, the great uh, challenges that the, the Eastern churches have faced in inhospitable lands, and that, the, that, that many of them, of course, um, have been martyrs. And um, even when you look at as I just draw a contemporary example of this, this is not something in the uh, back pages of history hundreds of years ago. But when we look at the ISIS destruction of Mosul and then the current Chaldean Bishop in, of Australia coming to Australia, having been the Archbishop of Mosul uh, and being forced to flee that city, yeah. uh, we, we see the, the lived we see the lived reality and it's about knowing um, the, the, the incredible beauty and the antiquities to which they are the bearers of a very, very, an incredibly rich heritage and uh, we can't be oblivious to that. And, and that's, the, that's the great danger. Um, one of the things that, um, that I believe is the case is the fact that, and, and many would perhaps see this like, and you made a reference to earlier, the, uh, the Byzantine liturgy. Now, in the Byzantine liturgy, there's an exaltation, I would call it exaltation, uh, of the cross, as in a, um, the use of the cross is used 36 times where people are blessed 36 times in the liturgy um, within that. And so the, you've got this heavy ritual there. Um, but if we just take, for example, a comparison of uh, the liturgies of the East, I will not put, for example, the Maronites into this category, though, because I would argue that the Byzantine have a liturgy which is more is certainly far more distinct from the western church than for example the churches of antioch and alex alexandria maybe no and i will make a confession that uh it is my favorite eastern rite yeah and, especially and, born a maronite it's, it's still the byzantine rite is is my favorite that i, yeah, I, I really yeah 
and it's radically and it is um it's radically different in terms of um what it offers but just even for people to be conscious of whereas the the if i was to say like the maronites themselves uh have become that they have always been in full communion with rome there is no counterpart orthodox counterpart so there's been no other alternative perspective there now the one thing is that you find within their their uh practices is it probably is the most latinized of of all of the um uh, eastern churches in its practices whereas the byzantines certainly aren't yeah. and many of them of course do operate under a even a, a different calendar still and the exactly. um the observance of that that calendar but i would encourage people to for example with with the liturgies of the churches of the beautiful iconostasis which is a wall of icons whereas they they don't you know they they don't have statues um there in their churches they have the they have the use of icons the whole idea of incense and of uh exactly. etc and where um this has gone out of now it's often been described that um one of the great one of the great tragedies within the the within any christian faith and it certainly is experienced within the catholic church is that sometimes we have the our mass it's um our mass has been made devoid of the mystery and it's about um our, that that faith really should be in in adoration of the mystery of god and i think that the particularly the byzantine rite does achieve that very very effectively and where people are drawn into this now i would i would just say people should, uh, should i would encourage people to do that whereas the one thing that i think is particularly uh is especially powerful and you made a reference to this george earlier in your comment about um syriac and west and eastern syriac virtually the same are really the modern equivalents of aramaic aramaic was the language of jesus and we know that effectively by the maronites having western syriac or syriac in their liturgy um they fundamentally have parts of the mass which really is then uh the words of jesus um in the mass because it's the um and the the prayer uh the hymn of consecration yeah. um is you know an incredibly powerful experience in the maronite mass um where you know the sound of that is how jesus would have been saying it fundamentally exactly anthony very uh thank you so much uh beautiful explanation there i think you really hit now hammer we'll take a break uh a short break here now so if you want to call in with your questions or comments number is 9621 that is 9621 or simply comment in the facebook sections or email the catholic toolbox at gmail.com so 
Stay tuned here, we'll be back shortly. My name is Father Damon Seifer. I'm a member of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, which is the Latin Mass Order. Our order has been ministering to the faithful in Western Sydney uh, for about 20 years now. But we think it's time for us to find our own place, to be able to build our own church. So we're really encouraging people to make donations, perhaps even dedicated to monthly donations so that we can afford to take on perhaps a mortgage for this great endeavor. So we would like to, in the long term, build a traditional church for the celebration of the traditional liturgy in the Latin rite. We would encourage you to think about this, to pray about this, and see if God is calling you to commit to helping us with this great endeavor to build a new church for Western Sydney. In our modern world of today, if you haven't got yet a copy of my book, The Art of Practical Catholicism, you can get it online through Perusia Media or any online bookstore. Just simply type it in, The Art of Practical Catholicism. You can get a copy of my book there. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, hope you enjoy it, definitely. And uh, let's continue here. I'm, I'm so excited with this discussion particularly. Uh, but before we continue, those who have any questions, you can simply comment in the Facebook live feeds or you can email us at thecatholictoolbox at gmail.com. We're available there. So we're going to continue here. Um, we're ready. We're, we're, we've headed east. Uh, we simply uh, went west for a little bit, but now we're back east. So Anthony, let, let's continue this great discussion. Let me, let me summarize what you've explained here. Jesus Christ established one church outside which there are no salvation. The head is Peter and the successors of the apostles, the rest of the 11 other bishops. Now, different part, these bishops or uh, the apostles and their successors went to different places. They developed different traditions while they were there of expressing that same Catholic faith. Gave us different traditions of that same Catholic faith, uh, different liturgies, different... And, and each of these groups sometimes developed their own cultural identity as well with the Catholic faith. And uh, now in the church, we look at it as the 22 Catholic churches. So, the, so there's one church, in, which is the Western church, which makes up most of the church. Most of the church belongs to the Western church. But then 21 other churches are Eastern in the Catholic church. Um, and um, and for those, and, and, but it's the same faith under the one shepherd of the Pope, the successor of Peter, all in communion with Rome, no matter what tradition you are expressing, but all hold to the same creed, same faith, same belief, and one communion with Peter, the successor of the apostles. But all express it differently in their liturgy and practice, and sometimes culture. Uh, I think you've uh, surmised it perfectly, and it's, <laughs> an, understand, it's an understanding of um, where um, the fact that um, the similarities that, that, that sometimes many of the Eastern Catholic churches, and this has to be said, 
uh, have a great deal in common that they share with their orthodox counterparts. Okay. Now let's, uh, for all our listeners here, so let's list some of these Eastern Catholic churches. We listed that there's two forms of the Roman Rite, the Anglican Rite, the Gallican Rite, Dominican Rite. There's many there. And if you want to get a, if you actually want to look at it graphically, I, I suggest you type in Google Catholic um, Catholic uh, rites or churches. And you'll get a nice diagram there. I think we might have it up here for those watching. Uh, they can look at it and look at each tradition all under one pope. But let's let's actually list some of these Eastern churches. What are the? Let, let's list some examples so people can so people can unpack. You know, they, it might click to people that they met somebody who was of that particular tradition. So if you're looking at uh, again, so if you're looking at, for example the Chaldean church or the Syro-Malabar churches. Mm -hmm. Now, they again are ones that we would associate with um, East Syriac. And again, they're churches that we would associate with St. Thomas the Apostle. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got Armenian church, Coptic and uh, Ethiopian. And of course, the Coptics and Ethiopians were affected by the split with the Oriental Orthodox um, in the fifth century. But you've got Belarusian, you've got Bulgarian, you've got Greek, you've got Melkite. Um, so it's really your biggest collective of churches is um, uh, the, are those that are associated with the with Byzantine. And that's natural as well, because the Byzantine um, churches are associated with St. Andrew and um, especially with the uh, with Constantinople now Constantinople was the was fundamentally the capital of the eastern part of the Roman Empire and so it was it was the great rival and to remember that it was the the petty rivalry between Constantinople and Rome that fueled the great schism of 1054 so uh, while 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 we do know um, that the um, Filioque and some say Filique uh, insertion into the creed um, is often seen as the, a defining aspect of that, what which caused the division. Um, a whole lot of it had to do with language. The fact that Greek had become the spoken language of Constantinople, whereas Latin was the spoken language of Rome that Constantinople had become the great trade center um, instead of Rome. And, it was and so it was this jealousy. power play yeah. um, between these two cities, which really um, fueled the rivalry between the churches of, of those two cities as well. So what you saw is that the, um, the Byzantine influence which came out of um, uh, Constantinople, then spread primarily north up into um, Eastern Europe, largely. And that's where, because when you look at it geographically on a map, um, we know that Constantinople is in um, is Istanbul in modern day Turkey. And it's, uh, it's fundamentally, you, if you were to simply head north, that's where you have all of these churches were founded over time and again it was the expansion of the eastern part of the of the uh, of the roman empire yeah. but greek 
uh, was the primary language uh, source of influence there. Um, that, of course, um, had an impact about when um, you, you, um, you, you had the, the, the cultural influences, even in the ways in which um, people uh, fundamentally uh, prayed. Um, and it's the way in which people, uh, people's um, sense of um, about celibacy of clergy, that those positions hardened uh, after the uh, schism of 1054, the way in which people prayed. I mean, the way in which Roman Catholics pray today, as in bless themselves, only emerged oh, around roughly around 1076. So after the schism, whereas prior to that, uh, people basically had blessed themselves as the Orthodox blessed themselves today. So a lot of what we see had changed over time. And, but at the same time, one of the great lessons, one of the, I think one of the incredible things is that the documents that we have about our church today, about our history, about our culture, about our liturgy, um, they show us that even if we take the mass, the mass across any of the 22 sister churches, it has its form has really largely stayed the same. And we have writings which go back to basically the first generation of disciples after Christ, which document the structure of the mass. Okay. Um, in Anthony, we, so um, Anthony, we have a question here from Mary. Um, Mary here is asking, would you advise Catholics to try other liturgies to find their preference? Would it not be too confusing for them to undertake their faith in this manner? Um, so, yeah, you, can, can we find our preference? Because basically we can go, we can choose as a baptized Catholic, we can choose any rite that we want to worship according to. Uh, and uh, Scott Hahn describes it beautifully. He says, sometimes, you know, people want to shop around for good liturgy, you know, pick what they like. Uh, what's our attitude? Like if you're a baptized, like I myself was, uh, I have Maronite parents, uh, but I was obviously baptized in the Latin rite. So I didn't receive my confirmation in the, uh, <laughs> I received my confirmation at 10 years old. Uh, but I went to a Maronite school, uh, but, but I found my, my spiritual practice not to be the Maronite liturgy, but to be the extraordinary form of the Roman rite. Um, but for other people, so let's say, for an example, another Western Catholic or, a, or let's say a Byzantine that might like the, the ordinary form or, or another or a, or a Syriac rite. What's our attitude to, because we have, that's the beauty of our faith. You can you can attend any liturgy and fulfill your obligation and live according to any liturgy. And it's the same faith, but different expression. But what's, what should be our attitude to, to, to trying different liturgies where our preference comes in? <laughs> I, I, I'd say a couple of things. Firstly, um, I think we need to be always mindful of that the mass for us is an encounter with the divine. And sometimes we have denuded 
the way in which the masses can be celebrated in some places and the way in which people engage, it's almost like people are doing their best to empty the divine out of the experience. And we need to ensure that it's an encounter what is with what is good and true and beautiful. These need to be aesthetic experiences where people are touched by the divine and people are also conscious of the sacred mysteries that they are participating in. And because if people had an awareness that Jesus Christ is fully present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, um, when we receive the Eucharist, um, we certainly would have, would have no issue with reverence then. And so I would, I would, I would argue that our greatest challenge is to ensure that our experience of the liturgy today is meaningful and powerful, um, and it's 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 a taste of heaven on earth. Is what it should be, and the mass should be the bridge between heaven and earth. Now, finding it's- the right. Like, I mean, some people call it liturgical shopping where they, they go and see many rites and they find one that they like. What should be the yeah, attitude? I, I, I would, I would in, a, in a sense, I, I caution with one in one way. And my cautionary comment would be is that many, for example, Maronites who should be worshipping in Maronite churches probably just know nothing about the Maronite liturgy and just go off to a, um, to a Roman Catholic mass. And so if we say that people shop around, the great danger for that is they may not know where to shop and they might actually be satisfied with something which is, you know, second best. And so I think there's, I think there is a bit of a danger there. Okay. I I would prefer to to put it from the perspective of give yourself the task of experiencing twenty um, a mass in each of the twenty two sister churches that belong to the Catholic Church. And that's practical tool number one. And I, I think that that would be something really practical that you could do um, is give yourself that opportunity to actually go to w- one of the masses of each of the churches. I think the key to it, it would be also, and the different forms of um, the liturgical rites that do exist within the Western church. And so that you actually are not closed off, that you're not blind to it. Like one of the things that I think does separate some young Australians from their level of engagement in the masses of their church is that the majority of the Eastern churches have aspects of the mass in a native language other than the vernacular. So the vernacular in Australia is English, but we know that there are other more formal 
aspects of the mass which are in, um, for example, Arabic, Syriac, or in other, other particular languages, uh, in, especially in the Byzantine. So I, I would encourage that, but I think it's about finding opportunities for ones where to choose experiences which are very different to your normal experience. And I would also go at some of the very peak times within um, the church's liturgical calendar or the very special Holy week, occasion. Yeah. Holy week, Christmas. And even an example of that was yesterday, the Feast of St. Anthony, the Great of the Desert. Now, just one thing, like most people consider Benedict, St. Benedict, to be the father of monasticism. Well, technically, you would argue um, St. Anthony the Great of the Desert is the, the, the father of monasticism. Or you would say there are two fathers of monasticism. But you have the very beautiful ritual, which I know that they do certainly with the Lebanese Maronite order and other orders within the Eastern churches, other monastic orders, renew their vows on that day. But I would, I would say that look for variances also. Like liturgical seasons are not the same. In each of our, um, in each of our, uh, like Western Church has a day of Pentecost, Maronite Church has a season of Pentecost, and you know, and you've got different aspects of it. But I would go during some of the liturgical seasons, which are high points of the of the of the calendar, and I would experience different masses at those times. But ones where you can be guaranteed of a different experience. Sacramentally, I do think, I, I'm a, I, I firmly believe that people should receive the sacraments in the church um, that they actually are a member of. I think that's, that's important. I'm not saying it's a rejection of uh, that church and some people just do it for practical terms and certainly for some of the smaller Eastern Catholic churches, uh, some of them have very um, often have no no priests even in this country uh, at times. Mm. So the one the practical tool that we can take here today, as we're wrapping up this show, uh, we're running out of time here, is is go and experience the the go and experience the other. Let's say in the West. Uh, the extraordinary form, the Dominican rite, the um, the the Anglican ordinariate rite, uh, but go east and experience the Byzantine rite, whether it's in a Malkite church, a Ukrainian Catholic church, which we have beautifully in Lipkem. Uh, we have uh, several Malkite churches here around Sydney, Malkite Catholic churches, uh, but also go uh, try out the Maronite rite. Um, uh, most Lebanese people belong to the Maronite rite. Uh, we have the Chaldeans um, and, and the Assyrian Catholics out in Bosley Park. Uh, there, there's Eastern Catholics around us. And, and, and what I've done personally, is I've went and visited everything that's available here in Sydney. I've made, uh, I've put Sundays aside with a friend of mine and we, we went to all of them. And with my wife, where she's experienced several rites and we're getting there to, to seeing every rite that we can possibly can that are all expressions of the faith, whether it's East or West uh, that are under the one true shepherd. 
So and, and to know, and I would suggest, George, to know why the difference, why there are differences, and to understand the differences. Exactly. You know, exactly. why do why do some of our Eastern Catholic churches, um, you know, like what you find is that different part, parts of the mass occur at different times in some of the, the churches. Exactly. You know, exactly. many but of the, definitely... many of the Eastern churches start Lent on Ash Monday, not Ash Wednesday. Uh, you, many of them have seasons which go for different periods of time. The Western church has a three-year liturgical cycle based upon Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, whereas yep. the majority of the Eastern churches have a one-year liturgical cycle where you might have, for example, Sunday of the Good Samaritan, Sunday of the Hemorrhaging Woman. To actually know what the, what the differences are and that the differences are not affecting theology or, or the belief exactly. or fidelity to Absolutely. the Pope, etc. And but to that that, that it, it's an yeah. expression Anthony, of, of which is variant. Anthony, thank you very much. Uh, we've run out of time here tonight. We can go oh. on and on. We'll have to have you here for another episode. It's it's such a broad topic and I love it. But thank you for your time here tonight. And yeah. uh, George, I will forward to you um uh, some PowerPoints, and if any of your um, people would like um, to have a look at them, they're more than welcome because they br breaks a lot of this open. Because Absolutely. I, one of the one of the great, uh, my last comment would be, um, when you look at the spiritual writings of the saints of the East, they are incredible, and sometimes we actually forget. We sometimes assume, oh yeah, we we don't actually. When we hear of a saint's name, do we ever think, oh, I wonder what that saint's background actually was? And the spiritual writers of the East are incredible. And it's interesting to note that the first saint to be proclaimed as, uh, and under the universal model of canonization was an Eastern Catholic, a Ukrainian, St. Josaphat, who then became the patron saint of the Second Vatican Council. Um, because it was an ecumenical council of the church, so council and one easy way of knowing the number of ecumenical a uh, number of Eastern Catholics, um, Vatican II was the twenty-first ecumenical council of the church, uh, just as we have twenty-one Eastern Catholic churches. But thanks, George, and thank you to your the work that you're doing. Thank you very much for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Here till next week. God bless. Take care, take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith 
and change our model world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.